Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I talk to an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode one. In this episode, I'm talking to Travis Wu. He's a pro magic player, a deck brewer, a coach, a basketball dunk trainer, a TED talker, and a business entrepreneur. He has a thirst for knowledge and he loves to read. Some of the stuff Travis read got him into a bit of trouble and you hear all about it in the interview. And despite the ups and downs, Travis has stayed committed to his passion for learning and helping people achieve their goals. Travis streams on YouTube and runs the Facebook group Magic for Good. I'm so glad you're listening right now. It was a blast talking to Travis. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Travis, how's it going? What's going on, Sam? It's a really beautiful Friday afternoon in Seattle. It's a, an excellent day. It's like the nicest weather I've seen in like a really long time. Yeah, it's a, really a great... We went from a really wet winter to a blistering summer out of nowhere, so... For everyone who's listening right now, Travis is just a wonderful person. He is an innovative thinker in the magic world. He's a brewer. He's so knowledgeable about the game. I've learned so much from Travis. I know a lot of people on the Magic for Good Facebook group has also learned a ton from Travis, as well as from your articles and your videos. Thanks, Sam. I'm also a three-dimensional human. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to be on here and share some exclusive, unfiltered content. I'm really excited to to get going. Why don't we just start at the beginning? When did you start playing Magic? It started out as a game, family game. Me, my brother, our father. We in 1995 we played <laughs> and we kept playing. It became a lot of things: a competitive outlet, a social outlet. It was a creative outlet. It was a chance to travel and meet people when I otherwise, at the time, would not have been able to. It was a way for me to get into blogging, get into social media, get into video editing, get into coaching. It's been, and it kind of has become really an arbitrary platform of a greater mission. I like to help people in my own way, move, think, feel better. And magic is just a platform for that. It could be anything. It could be gaming. However, I will say, because magic is a game that has stood the test of time. We played a lot of games. I played a lot of sports. Magic is still here. It hasn't died. Wizards was just picking up steam in Seattle. Some of the kids had cards. Elliot, my brother, Iwu, went and asked our parents. And we got going from there. And man, <laughs> 21 years later, how could things have changed so much It's and stayed the same so much? It's really, it's really amazing. So you learned the game. Obviously, you got really good at it. Yeah. And there were two of us, two brothers. We were into sports and stuff like that. But there was one summer where we played Magic Online all summer, just all summer. And we were able to keep winning. So we didn't really have to ask our parents for money or anything like that. Uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, we weren't, couldn't even really do part-time work. So that was kind of our part-time work for that summer. I was taking math classes that summer and I would come home at noon and we would play like three drafts, uh -huh. maybe go play tennis or something. Yeah. It was pretty unreal. <laughs> but <laughs> Those are the days. Yeah. 
it was a strange time. Just do all sorts of drafts online. That was really how it happened. Is we used to play against each other, but it gets boring playing against the same person at anything. It's much more fun to sit next to someone and play against other opponents. So when Magic Online came out, it totally changed our relationship with the game, where it was combative, me versus you, and suddenly it was a collaborative game. Like, it's a totally different game. Not even close to the same game Magic Online was for us. It became a combative game, competitive game to a teamwork game. It brought us really close together. It was awesome. So you guys were just wrecking on that one account. Yeah, we got we were over 1900 limited in most of the sets, which is super high for 14. You guys were like going infinite. Yeah, we were going infinite, 13, 14 year olds. We started going to junior super series, immediately started winning nationals qualifiers, went to PTQs. Immediately, Elliot top aided the first one. This is back when there was one big qualifier. Yeah. And uh, I just missed the top eight in the first one. And we were, all, we were in the top eight, a bunch of different PTQs together. And there was one, it was in 2006 or something like that, where we both top eighted. Elliot wins his quarters and his semis, and he's in the finals. And I win my quarters. He's waiting for me. If I win the semis, then... And this is, by the way, he's turning 16, so he's graduating from the Junior Super Series. If I win this match... I'm basically I'm gonna scoop to him because I'm gonna play in Junior Super Series. He's gonna go play pro in Japan or right. something. Yeah. I ended up losing. Elliot ends up losing. Elliot kind of drifts out of the game. I got to go to the Junior Super Series. We both stopped playing Magic for a couple years, and it's like, man, we had this dream. We we're gonna play in the Pro Tour together. And now, now it's never gonna happen, right? A few years passed since the brothers' unfortunate defeat. Travis kept on playing in PTQs and even managed to win a few. He's gaining confidence as a player and he's getting deck techs and feature matches at GPs and Pro Tours. Then in 2011, Chance brought the two brothers back together. The most magical thing of all time happened. We were gathered back at the house for Christmas. I asked Elliot if he wanted to do a draft, okay, and we're going to stream it, okay, asked him on stream, you want to go to Oakland, play in this Grand Prix, okay, it's a limited Grand Prix, let's do it. So we each went down there early, didn't really prepare at all, at all, really, it was draft, probably did two, maybe three drafts. I'm si this is the night before the tournament. I actually, I think we both had plans on Sunday, like we're planning on losing, I, I, I've read The Secret, Rhonda Byrne, is a really famous book where, you know, if you think about something, you make it true. But I mean, we were thinking we're not going to, we're going <laughs> to lose, right? I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe in The Secret. The night before, I was sitting between Ben Stark and Luis Scott Vargas playing Magic for three or four rounds. So obviously I asked them, okay, how does the format work? Like, what are, you la what are your lands? Do you play first or second, et cetera, et cetera? Watch how they built their sealed decks. And then it's like, well, I haven't actually done anything, but I'm probably way ahead everyone in the tournament just for that. <laughs> yeah. So I remember telling Marshall Sutcliffe, yo, I've got the fire. <laughs> Elliot goes 9-0 and without buys. Totally crazy. That's it's insane. It's kind of a mediocre green-black deck. 
doesn't look special. And what set was this? This was, what made it really easy is it was a core set draft. So it's just fundamentals. If you are good at fundamentals, you can crush everyone. It was us, James Nguyen, and Dylan Nolan. There's four of us in a room, and we had a room right before the tournament, and I would go back to the room between each round just to sit down, get some, get out of the convention center, whatever, and we're just rolling. I'm 8-1, and one, Elliot's 9-0, and oh, the other guys are 8-1 and one or 7-2. and two. We ended up, the four of us finishing the tournament, I believe, all four of us were in the top 32 of a 1,600-person tournament. We had a top 32, a top 16, and Elliot and I both ended up in the top 8. We played in the second draft, or the first draft, Louis Scott Vargas commentated. It's like, we're playing under camera, this is crazy, right? I remember the last round, we're both playing for top 8, and we're sitting next to each other, and it was just the culmination of everything that I wanted for Magic. It, it just uh, to do it together as a team with family. Travis was on a roll. He established himself as a pro Magic player, a streamer, a content creator, and a recognized personality. He was writing for Channel Fireball and traveling to Pro Tours. Thousands of viewers tuned in to watch his stream. Let's see, I really started getting into books, back into books, I'll say, about a year ago. And I use social media to do this. This post still exists. If you search up like Travis Wizard book list in Google or something like that, you'll find it. We made a list of the most influential books. And I'm talking about these books on stream. Obviously, I'm going to be drawn into the dark stuff. We can talk about my brand later. But you know, <laughs> I grew up rooting for Vegeta. Like I played Ganondorf. Uh, I got into Slytherin. You know, I'm drawn to black books. There's something about it, so. One of those books was Mein Kampf, and I did a stream on it. Well, the stream wasn't on the book, but we ended up talking about it. I didn't even... I asked the audience what they wanted to hear about it, and they requested it. You know, maybe I was lured into something. And that was a little dicey. <laughs> it was dicey, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not a safe subject, and I sprinkled in some alternate sources and so on and but i think it's safe to say that you don't condone that kind of history you don't condone those kinds of actions right if you watch the video it's pretty clear that i'm not a hateful person i think that it's extremely important to read that book right now actually and the new testament and the quran with i don't want to go into politics really but with what's happening in europe with immigration and what's happening on the internet with censorship I got absolutely destroyed for that, you know. For the people that I really did offend, who have family members who lived through that, I am deeply sorry. I don't want to be the guy who is an example of why you should be politically correct or your life will be ruined. I want to be an example of a guy who can say things, builds his business further, builds his relationships further, builds his following further, builds his life further, and it's good. And that's what I've been doing with it. You know, you can go back and watch. It's not really hateful. It's not really dealing with the truth. It's dealing with perspective, which is extremely important. Anyways, so people on Twitter have an opportunity to sh to shame me, right? And fire this guy. Fire fire Travis Wu, right? And, and the internet got pretty angry. And you did, and you released an apology. I did release an apology. And again, for people who like, I really people who are like, I really made light of something grave that my parents or grandparents lived for, like. I am sorry. But again, I felt that my apology was such a fearful backpedal that framed it and made it look way worse than it really was and confirmed with people that, hey, you, it's, if you're not politically correct, bad things can happen. 
I'm not going to say that I wish I could go back, but I know that from myself, I am fairly unfiltered and I tend to say things on the internet, which is permanent record. I'm going to cause situations like that again, but I know how to better handle it. I wouldn't grovel and kiss ass in the way that I did. You know, my apology was authentic, but it was built on an authentic of me buying into this narrative that I'm like a neo-Nazi Holocaust denier, which I'm not. <laughs> and you can watch that, right? And um, so it was authentic, like I'm such a bad person, whatever. But I've realized again, that I repeat this again, I don't have to buy into that narrative, right? And I stick with the original narrative of it's important to understand history. History is not pretty, it's ugly at times, and you don't have to have a 100% understanding of something to have a discussion about it. In fact, that's how you learn more, right? So, basically, I want to stand up for political incorrectness right now, and I, I regret that I didn't six months ago. It was a rough 24 hours. It was like, how am I going to do this? I mean, a lot of those people are like, we're actually like, okay, apology accepted. So <laughs> I thought that like, if I want this to blow over as fast as possible, I'm just going to respond to everyone and say, hey, sorry, I'm a bad person. And they're like, yeah, you're bad, but maybe I forgive you. Did some people forgive you? Oh, definitely. It's never, it's not a problem for me to be taboo or for me to be controversial because I always see three-dimensional characters as more attractive and something that I wanted to be. I just have an extreme thirst for knowledge. I want to know a lot. Not even facts necessarily. I want to understand perspectives. That's another thing. Historical perspectives are equally relevant. There's just as much truth to how someone feels because it explains their actions, right? But if you understand someone's perspective, and understand that their perspective is not determinant on objective reality, but is a truth to them, then we can better understand their behavior. Travis was apologetic and down on himself for what he had said. Most importantly, he felt that his words were taken out of context. Travis learned from his harrowing experience. He kept reading, he kept streaming, he kept on with his life. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you invented Living End. Um, yeah, I invented Living End. There was certainly concurrent innovation there. It was just waiting to be stumbled upon, and other people were coming up with it at the same time. I mean, I kind of studied Bill Gates a little bit at that point. I knew that to get the credit you had to win, it's not about ideas. Ideas aren't really aren't worth much. I mean, the quote is, is it's, it's what, 1% ideas, 99% perspiration or something like that. I invested in succeeding in tournaments. I prepared like a maniac and I flew to another city to play because I saw this as my opportunity as a big break to get credit for something because it didn't matter if I had the idea if someone else won a tournament with it first. I not only had to win the tournament, but I had to write an article about it, not claiming it, but giving a primer of how to play it. 
I spent a crazy amount of time of multiple hours a day for several months or something like that. That was a time where I saw an opportunity like, well, I could really launch a pro career and a content career if I just do this thing. At this point, I had already done it a few times. I think I had played in the pro tour two or three times. So I had a lot of confidence leading into that. I capitalized. Again, there were other people doing it, but I was the one who spent $500 to <laughs> gamble it on a weekend, right? You were a very popular streamer since you began streaming. I decided I was going to stream every single day coming out of college. Streaming was just kind of getting popular. I think at the time, no one else was actually streaming every day, so there was a huge opportunity. I became one of, if not the most popular streamers. So I, it was pretty crazy really at this time. I was attracting crowds of 500, 1,000, 2,000 people every night. And you're a fitness guy. Yeah. So I said earlier that magic's, that I have this mission of helping people move. Uh, my, I kind of do three things. I have a channel for movement, I have a channel for thinking, and I have a channel for feeling. Magic is primarily about thinking. But I still want to p help people move better, and I want to help people feel better, too. Oh, yeah. By the time you hear this, my TEDx talk might be up on rethinking stairs. That's another part of me. It's, it's important. You're doing a TEDx talk. Yeah, I did one for Magic, and uh, you can watch it. I really bombed it. Some people are like, this is so great. And others are like, y you sucked, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I really did. I'm sorry. I thought it was great. I thought you did a great job. I watched it. I thought you did a great job. Uh, I was repetitive and I didn't, I was repetitive in five minutes, man. Like, how, how are you even that? I'm a, pro, I'm a perfectionist. I didn't, it wasn't as good as my rehearsals and I didn't rehearse it that many times. So for this one, it's about rethinking stairs, why I go down stairs backwards. I'm not going to explain why in here. You can check that video. But at this point, I've rehearsed it. Just a quick note to the audience. When we came downstairs... Travis actually walked down the stairs backwards and he was like, I walked downstairs backwards. I'll tell you why later. <laughs> short, short story is it protects your knees and there's actually empirical evidence science that basically proves it. I believe it. So yeah, uh, I mean, it's not the perfect fix in all cases. I'm not saying everyone should go downstairs backwards or anything, <laughs> but that'd be ridiculous yeah, by the time hopefully that tedx is up by now and i didn't bomb it <laughs> <laughs> no you're not gonna we're talking to ourselves in the future travis you're not gonna bomb it it's gonna be great well i don't think so this time just because i've been going to toastmasters i've presented it multiple times I've gotten feedback from actual hundreds of people already i think I, i've rehearsed it at least once a day so um cool. yeah for those of you curious by the way of how to deliver a killer presentation presentation secrets of steve jobs talk like ted it's not a natural thing it's something it looks natural because they practice so much you also do basketball coaching yeah i do some basketball coaching uh different and, and my focus in basketball is on physics i love physics and landings that that has become my niche in basketball basketball players think better by studying physics and i want to help them feel better by being less injured, by moving better, by focusing on the physics of landings, because that's something really unexplored in a macho man sport. Interesting. Where people think their knees are supposed to hurt all the time. No, they're not. Like you can dunk until you're potentially, I'm trying to prove this, dunk until you're 40 without knee pain. If you your movement is efficient 
and no one people will want to jump high, but they don't want to land soft. So that kind of became my mission in basketball is like, why am I the only one talking about landings? This is crazy. So I'm the old, only Asian dunk trainer on the internet. That's so interesting. Right? There's other Asian dunkers, and some of them jump quite a bit higher than me, but I'm the only dunk trainer. So so you can dunk. I can't dunk a basketball. That's cool. Wait, what, what were some of your most crazy dunks? Um, You know, I like to do trick dunks. I like to grab on the net and pull myself up so I can do windmills. I can nice. do between the legs on slightly lower hoops. Nice. Um, I just I just like to dunk it hard and try to race the ball to the ground. Why can't we get a booth at the next GP where you just where they where someone plays magic against you and if you win instead of you instead of you giving them a pack or something you dunk on them? I believe they actually did something like this, but I wasn't invited. <laughs> I remember hearing about it. They had some kind of like basketball weird magic thing at a Grand Prix. Really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was just making that up. You're, you're actually talking about something that actually yeah, happened. it happened and I wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't dunk on anybody. Yeah. So one thing that's really new and exciting with the Magic community right now is that there's a new movie, Enter the Battlefield, by Nathan Holt. Sean Kornhauser, very importantly. Nathan is the face and the character and the personable one. Sean films and cuts all the, all the, most of the video. So okay, so you Very important. I'm not blasting Nathan here, but Sean Kornhauser needs to be recognized for this. We filmed and we had a couple shoots that were really cool. We filmed in Spain. We played basketball. Nathan's a basketball player. Cool. He's and, really tall. Yeah, he's he's tall, he, and he's got a good post game. He, he yeah, he beat me in one on one. I remember very close game. I couldn't knock down my twos. Anyways, kind of talked about my philosophy there. It was definitely less developed. And then we had a few shoots in Seattle. My buddy Wilson Platt works for this really special charter school, which had a magic class. How did they have a magic class? This is an insane school. They vote on their interests, <laughs> and then they take a class on it. The kids vote on their interests. And I came, then they, they yeah, I, I came in there, and they were wrapping up, and they were doing an appreciation circle. Everyone was going around and saying one thing they appreciated about, like the school or someone else. So we did a film session in there and talked to the kids, helped them, shared some energy with them. We also had a shoot on the beach, which was cool. Uh, my training stuff, and then we had a shoot in my parents' house on stream. Anyways, that took about a couple years. And th this was in post-production, actually, after my controversy or whatever, you know, flavor of the week. And I thought I was, d you know, you know, I, I think that I may have gotten myself cut from this movie. Oh, because, really? Yeah, I was doing the self-groveling thing. Oh, you know, I asked people, what should I do? Should I, you know, should I send Helene, say, hey? I asked a couple people and they said, sure, why couldn't it hurt? Just because I wanted to know if I was going to be able to run my ebook. Because CFB had taken action against me. Maybe Wizards is going to take action against me too, right? And Helen, and Helene is the director of organized play yeah, for she, Wizards of the Coast? And by the way, I sat in a cubicle next to her in college. I... For one quarter, I was an unpaid marketing intern in there. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But <laughs> that's for another whole yeah, other podcast. I sent her an email saying, hey, I'm sorry that I caused this controversy. Uh, I know it's a bad look for magic or whatever. Um, and then I get a phone call from Nate. like man i'm so sorry but i hate to do this you know we don't want to do we don't want to cut you but they asked us to yeah so i think if i had not sent that email or if i had even said 
stood up for myself at the time. Again, I was very self-groveling. I was buying into the narrative about me. But, I mean, they cut the one minority from the cast who had the one minority opinion. Like, it was a really bad look for Wizards, and they cut out some great footage. And I think that they made a mistake, and I think I made a mistake by not saying, yo, you're making a mistake right now, right? You're really gonna cut out the non-white character I'm young, I didn't play my life perfect up to this point, but what is perfect? And uh, there's other plenty of other opportunities where I, now, now I know how to handle controversy much better, having lived and been strengthened by it. It was a bummer that Travis wasn't going to appear and enter the battlefield, but like all things in life, stuff happens. Travis carried on and kept himself, his life, and his brand moving forward. So since then, I've put out an ebook, I've put out multiple video training courses, I've put out two dunk tra- or two basketball training programs, I put out another free ebook, I started a coaching mastermind group, I've been coaching magic players, coaching basketball players, and doing some personal strategy coaching. I don't like to call it life coaching or personal development coaching, but that's a way to think of it. Gave a couple coaches in the mastermind cool part-time jobs. Basically, I have built building my own YouTube. I'm just loving what I'm doing because it's totally for me and I'm motivated to work all the time and learning how business works in a really hands-on way. I don't make a ton of money now, and money is not the only measure of success, but I mean, I made money in like the third month on my own, more than CFB had ever paid me in a month. So very quickly getting paid more money, right? So it's like, you know, it's <laughs> it's been a financial gain for me. Isn't that such a lesson to learn that, you know, when you get like thrown out of the nest, you're like very quickly learning how to fly, very quickly how to learn how to figure things out? Exactly. I was forced to learn how to fly and I'm flying. So, and that's very important for my story right now because again, I don't want to be an example of why you need to be very careful what you say because bad things are going to happen. It's and it it seems to me that if you t- tell your own story, your own narrative, your own interpretation, you can turn these things into major victories. That yeah. is my story, and that's what I want to want to leave you guys with, is that I want to tell my side of things, and I want to take ownership of everything that happened. Even being cut from the movie, I could have played that different, right? I don't blame CFB or Wizards of the Coast at all. It's also not a, a sob story. <laughs> Life is really short, and we live in an age where it's really not so hard to do your own thing all it takes is doing it consistently every day yeah why not go for it and also don't worry too much about being politically correct (laughs) it's not a big deal i also want to ask you about your book Mm -hmm. the title is magic for good I've called it deck mastery. I wanted to appeal to deck builders. At the time, I talked about the self-loathing. It's like, oh man, everyone thinks I'm like evil. I can't come out with a product immediately called Magic for Good. That book, man, I had so much fun writing this. I know not everyone finishes it. It's the type of thing where it's like, wow, this is a lot longer than I expected. Yeah. And man, uh, for those of you guys who read it, I love this thing. I really hope you like it as much as me. 
I read over a hundred books to write that and I cited everything in there. It was an, a fun experience, experience for me. And I worked with an editor and we edited everything. It's cohesive. It all comes together at the end. And it, it's all about both deck building and about how to learn more from the game. So it's all about like the, the thought patterns and, and it's, it's, it's a really, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I spent an excessive amount of time. And that tries to interpret magic from a really tactile, graphical, kinesthetic, visual. We have a course that's for more serious players of tournament success, preparation. And then there's a course on how to make pro content. And then we have the mastermind as well, which is we have the, these coaches in here. For people who really want to get better faster, these things exist now. I mean, I would have paid for this when I was a kid. We paid for Star City Premium and TCG Brain Burst Premium. Yeah. There was no magic coaches. There were no online courses. I mean, there was mo also Moto Sharks. But, I mean, it, it, think about it. I, I won a, a PTQ in 2008 after starting in 1995. Who has 13 years to fumble around figuring it out, right? Yeah. But somewhat, I was just putting time into this basically black box until I could check off the bucket list and kind of return to society and offer value. So I'm really trying to help people be more productive by getting their bucket list done faster through accelerated information that just wasn't, again, wasn't around back when I was figuring it out. Like if we, I can help someone do it in a year instead of two years, and then they start teaching other people. Awesome. And then also the mastermind group. You have a magic mastermind group. Yeah, so a mastermind is a, not everyone's familiar with it. I first heard of it from this really, really famous business book, Think and Grow Rich. A mastermind is basically a board of advisors. You have a cabinet of people who are invested in you. It is generally necessary for it to be paid just because you need people invested in you. That's how it works. And that wasn't something that existed. Like, you know, you can pay money to join SCG Premium, or you you can start it off offering pay money for coaching. But man, I would like to, you know, subscription for a private group, because you know that everyone in there is serious. You know that it's like joining a dojo with a trainer, right? Yeah, you got you got to pay for that. Yeah, you got to yeah, if it was to be a part free, not only would it not exist, but it would be low quality. Right. We wouldn't have people following up with you every week. We wouldn't be there Monday, Wednesday, Sunday for calls. But it was just a, I I was asking, you know, what can I do to help people? Really during my artist entrepreneur thing, it's I mean, you know, when people tweet at me a deck list I escalate to a phone call, <laughs> not to make a sale, but to see what I can do to help you. And it was obvious that there were people who wanted coaching and wanted it in a group setting, and no one in the world was offering it. So we made it happen. That's pretty cool. And who are the coaches in the group? Right now, I mean, I, I don't know if things will change. We'll bring in more people. We have me, we have Ben Friedman, we have Adam Yurchik, and we have some other really high-quality players in there, like Alan Zhang from Australia, cool. Sean Pottinger from Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, also, we see some of our guys really rising up, so I think we're going to see some really big results. I mean, we've already seen people get way better. We haven't like won a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour yet. I'm excited to see what happens. I think that um, <laughs> I'm eager to prove myself. So, I mean, that was my thinking is like after I left CFB, it was like, all right, I don't have 100,000 people reading my articles anymore or 50,000 
people. Um, I do have a decent social media following. I'm going to have to help 30 people a lot, right? Travis, I wanted to ask you some quick rapid fire mm-hmm. questions, if that's okay. Question number one is, of the six colors of magic, white, red, black, green, blue, and colorless, what's your favorite color and why? I most relate to black, actually, because it's three. It's the most three-dimensional. It is about ambition, sacrifice to forward a cause. It is about... It's, it's, it's the color of subjectivity. I feel that it's misconstrued as being bad or evil by the the color white, but what really it's it's the most subjective color that recognizes that organisms have personal selfish impulses and that it's okay to be that organism. So I find it. I, I like I said I felt like I should have been in the Slytherin house. And yeah. Just, for whatever reason, I just <laughs> something about it. My next question would be, if you would change a rule, if you just change one rule of the game, what would you change? This is not something that I think about, so I just don't know. I mean, I trust that to the rules team, really. <laughs> I have no opinion. I, the rules are, are, are good. I like them. Yeah. Um, maybe, I don't know. The rules are complex. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I'm open to rules changes over the years yeah. as well. If they want to change things. I'm excited for that change. I've been pondering myself recently about how to reduce variance, but you can just get flooded sometimes. The mulligan rule helped a lot. Yeah. That was a great change, I'll say. Yeah. The Vancouver mulligan we're talking about, if you mulligan, the first thing you do when you keep is you scry one. If you've only been playing for a couple months, it's a new rule. Yeah. For the vast history of time, there was something else. Which is no Vancouver Mulligan. You just was mul- a Paris Mulligan. You just you just mold to five. You and just, just lose cards. <laughs> you just yeah. lose. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, my next rapid fire question is: um, if you could give a playset of any card to every Magic player, what would it be? That's a really interesting question. This is kind of like a democratization of it. You know, people complain about uh, Tarmogoyfs being two hundred dollars. Yeah. So you I mean you would tank the market if you did this thing. Well, we're not uh, talking about the market. I'm just talking about in general. Or you could even think about uh, rewording this question as if you could change the rarity of any card to common, what would it be? Which card would you choose? Well, actually, for the first question, I was thinking of just giving basics to everyone so that they could play magic. Okay. But I wouldn't necessarily change the rarity of things because I want wizards to be a profitable business that makes money from the primary market. And I want the secondary market to exist to encourage primary market sales. So uh, I, I don't have a problem with standard decks costing $500 and Chase's being $100. I'm probably not going to play. And I know other people aren't going to play. And maybe the better number is like $200 or something like that. But I mean, in general, I, I want wizards to succeed. So if Goyf costs like $600, good. <laughs> Fascinating. What do you see as the future of Magic the Gathering? The future of Magic the Gathering. So there's what is certain and there is what is hopeful. What is fair, and this isn't even certain, this is is likely, and maybe I eat my own words. Magic really dominates this in-person 
social mixer niche, which people love. They want to get off work on Friday and go hang out with people, meet people, compete. There just isn't anything else that does that. Therefore, magic is very safe in existing for a very long time in paper magic for that reason. So my, my future of magic is paper is not going to change so much. However, magic wants to be, Hasbro wants magic to be competitive online as esports. That's necessary to do. So the hopeful is that they put more money into their digital and they their magic digital next product is really good and revolutionary and becomes competitive with Hearthstone. And when, now that there's a lot of viewers, they can raise the prize pot, do a million, two million, because people are actually watching. And, and then magic is legitimized. There's actual magic pros who make good money and have social capital and date supermodels that's awesome <laughs> i mean not not that like that's the trophy or whatever but i find it interesting that league and counter-strike and games like that do have that kind of social capital where magic really doesn't <laughs> right now there's not a lot of glory in it but if digital comes through then that may might be in the future of the game do you have any asks or requests of your audience yeah, I want to know what I can do to help you more, what I can change, what can I do better tomorrow that I wasn't doing today. I love that. That's so consistent and in line with your mission to self-improve and grow and learn and discover. And where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, don't find me. I'm on Twitter, but I'm, sca- <laughs> I'm scared of that place. Don't man. find me. Yeah. <laughs> Follow me on Snapchat, Travis D. Wu, if you want the real stuff. Travis D. Wu on Snapchat. You can also... Google Travis Wizard, Travis Wu, Magic for Good, or YouTube. Don't Google me, YouTube me. I, I know you're gonna know. I know you're gonna now go Google me, but uh, um, yeah. Just I'm okay. also on Instagram and Twitter, but I don't care about them very much. And check out the Facebook group, Magic for Good. Yeah, join Magic for Good. I also have another group called Free Living Goals. Free Living Goals, which is about empowering people and helping them feel better through self-actualization. So if you want to check that out, that's another cool thing. And what about your YouTube channel? Yeah, I mean, if you YouTube Travis Wu or Travis Wizard, you would find it, so... Nice. And then I think your YouTube channel name is Magic for Good? By the time they watch this, it will probably be Travis Wizard. Travis the URL Wizard. is Travis Wizard. Okay. So, yeah. Any Search of those for... things, you'll find it. And then also, you're still also streaming on Twitch. I don't stream on Twitch anymore. Uh, I moved to YouTube because I bet on Google as a search engine more than Amazon. Okay. <laughs> Amazon owns Twitch. And because... I don't give power to anonymous people to put text on my screen and for me to react to it anymore. I don't know why it took me years to figure that out, but... Yeah, I think there's a thing about um, reclaiming a little bit of that anonymity space on the internet, right? That's why Facebook has you be who you really Mm -hmm. are. So there's a little bit of accountability. I think as people, we all have to be empathetic. We all have to be compassionate and good to each other. We can't just keep throwing stones from the dark. We have to be upfront, you know? There's a little bit of trust there because as the person throwing the stone, you've also got to trust that the person listening and receiving that is also going to be like compassionate and have have a healthy dialogue. And really as people in the magic community, we can be good to each other, right? Yeah, we should... We should show each other some more love. So I love you and thank you so much for listening. And Sam, yeah, appreciate it, man. Really good talk. I hope you enjoyed this. If you're watching on my channel and you want more stuff like this, go check out Kitchen Table Magic. I really appreciate it, Travis. Thank you so much for your time and thanks for being on Kitchen Table Magic. Woo!
Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Travis Wu. Be sure to check him out online on YouTube and follow him on Snapchat. He's super entertaining. And as you heard, he's happy to connect with anyone because he wants to help people. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. When I met Therese Nielsen, I was in Eternal Witness, and it was the first time she saw the costume. And I had actually taken the balls off because um, a couple of them had dropped off, so I packed off the other ones. And I was like, oh, I'll fix this later. And so when I first saw Therese Nielsen in person, she goes, where's your balls? And I I got bright red, and I looked right down at my crotch, and I looked back at her, and my first thought was going to be, I don't know. <laughs> If you haven't guessed by now, Magic cosplayer Christine Sprankle will be joining me on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Christine is going to share some hilarious stories that you won't want to miss. We talk about her different interactions with artists, her creative process, and how she likes to play Commander. Thanks so much for listening to the first few episodes on Season 1 of Kitchen Table Magic. All of the show notes for each episode is at kitchentablemagic.org. Please follow us on Twitter at KTMPodcast. To find us on Facebook, just search for Kitchen Table Magic Podcast in the search bar. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you so much. Also, we don't really have any sponsors for this show, but like in true magic fashion, I did sell some magic cards in order to fund this little project of mine. So today's episode is brought to you by Snapcaster Mage. I sold an extra playset of uh, my Snapcaster Mages that I had to a buddy of mine, and it really made me think about how great Snapcaster Mage is as a creature. You can flash him in for just the low, low cost of one and a blue, and he gives the spells in your graveyard flashback, so that's great. I mean, you can do combat tricks, counter spells, cryptic command, lightning bolt. Everyone loves bolt, snap bolt. Um, and even sometimes as a tempo play, attacking for two can just win you the game. So anyways, this episode is brought to you by Snapcaster Mage. Thanks. Thanks.